I'm Alexandra Joe, Content Manager at Parting Stone, and you're listening to the Death Care Decoded podcast. In this podcast, we explore trends in the death profession, uncovering valuable insights through conversations with industry thought leaders. Our mission is to bring forward-thinking education to death care professionals. This week, I have the pleasure of speaking with Lauren Bowser, owner and manager of Cusick Funeral Home, to talk about being a first-generation funeral business owner in today's death care world. We discuss changes that funeral businesses saw during the COVID-19 pandemic, the differences between being an independent tradesman and owning a funeral home, and advice for other young funeral professionals stepping into first-time funeral home ownership. Lauren also offers helpful insights to designing a modern funeral home and how to connect with your community in order to offer personal, meaningful services to your families. You're jumping into a conversation with myself and Lauren Bowser. I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for a while. We met last year at the New Jersey State Funeral Directors Association Conference, and um, you mm-hmm. have now purchased your own funeral home. Yeah, you met me as a tradesman um, where I owned and operate, which I still do, state mortuary service. And then uh, now I own and operate Cusick Funeral Home simultaneously. Wow. So I'd love to talk with you for the podcast about both of those experiences as a death care professional, being a tradesperson. And from what I understand, that's kind of like working as an independent contractor with other funeral homes, kind of going in between and filling in. Correct. And then mm-hmm. maybe may, let's just start with that. What is what is that like to someone like me who's not a funeral director who's in the space? Yeah. So a tradesman in this case generally means about embalming. You're usually not a tradesman to go and make arrangements or run funerals, although that's an option for what you can do. So I basically do decedent processing for firms in North Jersey, and I inherited that from my embalming preceptor. Uh, So the gentleman who taught me how to embalm purchased a funeral home and did both for a period of time and then asked me to come on because embalming is proprietary to the person who's doing it. And he is the first person and one of the main people who taught me. So our work is very similar. So taking on his client list was not introducing like a new artist to come in and paint, but someone who paints very similarly, if you can compare the two. Uh, So own and operating a trade company, I started in 2018. And when 2020 hit and the pandemic started giving that unnatural death, Uh, which is a great term I learned from you, Uh, that unnatural death rate that we experienced was overwhelming and it became a lot and it really put into perspective what I was doing. And I never turned a call away. I never told a funeral home, I can't help you. I was there to help to the best of my ability. But after that, it did burn me out a little with trade work and I've definitely stepped back with it and the opportunity to purchase this funeral home came because the funeral director who owned and operated this funeral home was burnt out and he's 72 you know so his experience with the pandemic was different than mine but both of us were at a very unique point so the divine timing of that i was very fortunate that that happened for me and it was my being prepared and the opportunity just kind of met Wow. So that, that does sound a little bit like stars aligning and the pandemic shifting things so that it worked out. Um, yeah. I, you know, I truly can't imagine what it must have been like during the pandemic to be 
a tradesperson in this profession with all of that excess death, all of those deaths that are happening outside of their normal time frame. I yeah. mean, so you pretty much saw firsthand like the overload of cases that people were experiencing. Yes. And a lot of funeral homes experienced uh, really hard times with their staff where they were unable to pay their staff, unable to do this because people weren't doing full service funerals. Uh, they were just doing that immediate disposition, private family gatherings, and that's where a lot of their overhead and coverage for their mortgages came in. As a tradesman, it doesn't make a difference to me whether your family is having six hours of visitation or 30 minutes of visitation. That person is getting taken care of in the same capacity. So I didn't see that issue coming in, but it got to a point where you didn't even care about the money. And I looked at Helen, who's my business partner in this who worked with me through the pandemic. And I was like, I would give it all back to make this go away right now. And we faced transferring 12 plus people a day, embalming 12 plus people a day. And I had Melissa Lamana, she was at the um, convention with me. I took her down, who was really new to embalming and was never given an opportunity because she's four foot eight. She's a mom of five kids. She's a licensed funeral director and everyone kept her in this little box. And I remember talking with her and she actually got up on a table to suture someone as she was talking to me, uh, like about uh, her kids cheerleading or oh something. And, she was yeah, like, oh, maybe. and I was like, you got this. You got this. <laughs> I had no doubt in her from that moment. And she really stepped up during the pandemic, leaving her kids at home um, with her husband and having eight kids between them was, beyond stressful, but they were super supportive. And without her, I wouldn't have been able to process as many bodies as I did. And without my support staff around me, I would have had no normalcy. I didn't see my family. You lived at the funeral home, essentially. Like we were sleeping at the funeral home. Um, we were sleeping at random funeral homes that we would go and serve. I had funeral director friends who I'd serve and they'd leave food on the table for me that they ordered out. You know, we'd sit at the arrangement table and eat and go back to work. And uh, the inundation of this excess death was really eye-opening to how serious it was. And it made you very scared. It made you scared for your own loved ones and for yourself. And it made you really resentful against people who denied its existence. It made you really resentful against people who were anti anything that was going to protect and help us at the time. So it really changed my perspective on a lot of things. So I, and I'm sure it did to most people in this profession too. I think that's right. I, I recently wrote the cremation column for American Funeral Director Magazine, which was reflecting on COVID-19 and have interviewed a couple of people looking back at what's changed, how the whole profession has shifted its mindset around a lot of things, you know, include and things that won't go back. Yeah. Like having more storage space and refrigeration space, like needing to have, um, you know, on call people or independent contractor people, yeah. remote arrangements not going anywhere, things like that. So yeah. it's, it's shifted a Absolutely. lot. And one thing I'm curious about that maybe from your experience you can speak to, but I'm, I, I am curious about, the demographics that would normally go to one funeral home, you know how that kind of works, like Catholic people go to this funeral home. Yes. Was that, was 100%. that happening 
the same way during the pandemic or was it just like a free for all get in where you fit in kind of situation? It was a little of both. People were coming because of you're known for um, like where I run my train ser- trade service out of is Tuttle Funeral Home in Randolph. They are the Greek Orthodox, you know, they are the Catholic. They are um, a lot of these people's firm because they're really not much competition for them, but there were people calling from more densely populated areas who went down the list and eventually got to them and would say, hey, can you help me? And again, they never turned anyone away. Um, The demographics still exist now, but those people established relationships. So the firm that I purchased is the Catholic funeral home in town. That's actually my great Aunt Mary's crucifix. Mariucha, she'd have been 100 this year. We found it at her house. It's a last rites kit. It's what you would put up to give someone last rites cool. um, that was dying at home. So I collect Catholic memorabilia. But that, that's my great aunt. This is the, the Catholic Irish funeral home in town. We are across the street from a Catholic church. So they're my neighbors. Um, but during the pandemic, the gentleman who owned this funeral home was scared of meeting with the living because he was you know, in his seventies, he was immunocompromised with a heart condition and didn't want to meet with living people. So part of when we were purchasing this place, I had to consider to him was those people you turned away and went somewhere else are going to continue to go somewhere else. They're not going to go back to you. There's no stepping back. You turn them away once and that was it. Yep. And although he didn't do that with malintent or to turn anyone away, he did it to protect himself, which I understand. But on the flip side, Tuttle, who turned no one away, is going to be gaining these clients in the future. They're going to continue to go back. Tuttle helped us during the hardest time. So they're going to turn up for them every time they're in need. So so that's typically how it works in funeral home businesses. Is It's like word of mouth loyalty in within communities. Yeah. Correct. So especially in the Northeast and this area where we are more densely populated, we are older um, I worked in a town, Piscataway, that was established in 1666. These places have older social dynamics and some that are very loyal to your religion and your neighborhood. And you would go to a funeral home that was a little closer to your house. Because remember, that idea of having the funeral outside of the home was is very new. It's very 1950s, 60s. That's why this firm was even established. It was bought as a residence. And that residence turned into a funeral home and it was newsworthy at the time Wow! that they're no longer going to go to your house to do this. You're going to do it at a funeral home. My grandmother remembers these times and she remembers kind of how weird it was that you weren't at home. And then later in life, how weird it would be that you were at home. And that's because of neolocalism. Everyone isn't living in the home anymore. You're not having multi-generations in the same dwelling. Families are moving. That's why we institutionalize people at the end of their life. Um, is because it, there's no home core to have that. And that's what changed the face of funeral der- service at that time. But I get families here who the owner's family served in another town. And they'll come to me now because of the namesake for no other reason. They'll drive 15 minutes here, even though there's a funeral home up the street from their house. Yep. Wow. It's so funny to think about those, I mean, for lack of a better word, like purchasing choices and loyalty sure. to brands. And in this case, that would be names. hundred percent. Yeah. That's really interesting to think about. And I'm across the street from the Catholic church. So people who have come to this church are now using me because they see it. We, they use our lot to park. That's why changing the name is not part of my business plan. 
and I actually added the slogan, a reputation built on trust since 1950. I adapted that from my preceptor who had our trade service, a reputation built on trust since 2003, (laughs) which at the time (laughs) seemed great. But now since 1950 really has that core for people. And I'm thankful that he has a good name that I can can carry on with. That's awesome. I want to talk a little bit about what that was like. Are, are you a first generation funeral professional? This is not your family trait. I am a few, I'm a first generation. Okay. Correct. And so what was that like for you transitioning from, you know, you mortuary student, independent tradesperson to stepping into buying a whole funeral business that is established in a community? It was nuts. I worked for a firm locally and uh, it was uh, really close to here and we're still friends. Like they come here and they're very supportive of me purchasing this. And then I ended up working for some bigger firms, meaning that they process about 600 calls a year and you would have four or five directors. Each person was handling over a hundred families and bodies a year. And it really prepared me, I think for this role in the funeral home, I just had that couple of years off and it was a very big decision to leave my last job. Not that they were good to me, but that they were okay people and that they gave me the chance. They let me do restorative art on really traumatic cases. They let me take the lead when it came to families, when it came to advertising, when it came to public speaking, they passed me the torch. And without that leadership training, um, I don't think I would have been prepared to own and operate this funeral home. I left them because I knew that I couldn't walk in that door every day and be happy there, that I would always feel undermined and that I was always under someone else because we both know that in this industry, that if you are not a second generation or you are not a guy, you are not as respected. And my staff from there, who actually some have followed me here and work for me per diem here, um, they call me the ice queen. And I wasn't an ice queen for any other reason than I needed to demand their respect, Mm -hmm. the way I spoke to them, the things I expected to them and the standards to which I held them. I had to demand their respect or they wouldn't give it to me. Okay, honey. Okay, sweetie. We don't speak like that. And you're not going to speak that way to me or anyone else you approach very cutthroat with them. So I'm fortunate that I had that experience, but going to be a tradesman, I almost felt set Mm -hmm. free. I made my own schedule. I could take my dog with me to work because Tuttle has a whole like living room, set him up nice, go into the prep room, uh, get a snack, might need to pick my nieces up or something. I can just cut my day. The problem is you get no days off. There's no, you know what? I need a day off. I'm going to call out sick today. (laughs) Doesn't work like that at all. So that was the major point, but I, I felt a little liberated. I actually, I have a lot of tattoos and I didn't tattoo my arms my entire career. And as soon as I got that trade job, I was so excited, right? Then I bought this funeral home and I was like, so I have to be a consummate professional. Do you have advice for first time funeral homeowners? Is to recognize the legacy that either you took on or that you're going to create. I have a friend, Dennis McGee, who purchased into a funeral home down in South Jersey, and he really took who they were and recognized the value in what the firm had, but modernized it, made it a celebration of life, really became community oriented and focused and watching him do that and do it successfully 
you know, really helped me do what I'm doing and hopefully I do it successfully. Again, I'm four months into owning this funeral home and I think I'm doing my best to make a good impact in letting my community know we're doing a community charity cornhole event to benefit the Civic League because we just, you know, had Hurricane Ida and their funds were distributed. Um, we sponsor local baseball teams. We're opening up our building during Earth Day to come in. People are cleaning the community. Anything we can do to support the town because we want to be your community's death care professional. I want you to be able to call and say, hey, my loved one died in California and I have questions. Not that I mean you're engaging my services or I'm getting paid to talk to you, but that you trust me as a resource for valid information and knowing that I'm here to help you whether it's about money or not. I'm here to guide you through whatever life faces, being your community's death care professional and making your funeral home not a taboo space for people. This was an old house built in 1890 and you could tell when you walked in. The biggest impact I've had in coming into this place is Helen put her whole heart and soul into renovating this. <laughs> I didn't pick up a paintbrush. She renovated this place. She put her vision into it to make it look more like a modern hotel, comforting, home-like, but still, you know, um, elegant. And it's had a huge impact on people. Putting TVs in the room, giving them the option like Tukios to build your own video, add your music, do what you're going to do. Making it about your client and your community will serve you better than making it about yourself and your bottom line. Oh, yes, that's awesome. I, I want to hear a little more about the modern aesthetic. Um, because I think that that's a huge factor in some people's discomfort in funeral homes, like the stuffy Victorian 100%. or like 1950s plastic covered grandma's couch. Um, how did you have, yeah. I guess this is more a Helen question, but did Helen have resources for design? No, she used that modern, okay, hotel, modern hotel idea. idea. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm not sure what, where this came out of her, but she recognized that need for it to be modernized, but comfortable, inviting, but professional. And also something that was really interesting, her not being in funeral service at all and owning the funeral home and renovating it was she was like, it shouldn't smell like a funeral home. I never, I'm I, like, I said, you smell right now. <laughs> I'm blind to it. But funeral homes smell like flowers, they smell musty, they smell like old, and formaldehyde, glutaraldehyde has an effect. So she actually got um, paint scent that was uh, like clean linen. And everyone's surprising. I was like, I was so dumb <laughs> buying these things and the Febreze, and like, it's crazy. People come in, they're like, oh, it doesn't smell like a funeral home. Oh, right. Home. That's awesome. That's a thing. I wouldn't think it looks like a funeral home, having comfortable modern furniture, making it still not the walls packed with stuff, uh, making it very light and airy, but still have a lot of plants and greenery, real plants that are displacing oxygen. All these things that she envisioned in her head and she turned to fruition were super successful. Uh, having chairs, um, those church chairs that interlock with each other rather than folding chairs, blew people's minds. They were so happy. People who walk in, the number one thing they say is how it doesn't smell like a funeral home and how open and spacious it is. Providing people with that feeling, especially post-COVID where we're social distancing, with that open feeling and the ability to feel comfortable to sit and have a conversation and memorialize their loved ones. I have my downstairs area. I created a family room. It's a dining room table. I have a Keurig. I have a little fridge. We have an area. I invite you to get food. There's 
couple people locally that I recommend you get your food from, you set it up, you're here for four hours, you're here for more like six hours to have you come before the public and you're staying after you're hungry, you're tired. And part of this social event is eating, not eating in the room sure. with the body weird. We're on different levels. So I yeah. feel like that now that that's new in New Jersey is serving mm-hmm. food in the mm-hmm. funeral home is new. And initially I was against that legislation because I was like, ew, I pictured like cooking <laughs> right, it right. and serving it, you know? So I was like, oh, let's not do that. But I recognize that having trays of food and people down here to just come and take a break emotionally, physically, to have a little bit of food and drink, change the mood. And again, that event that we're creating, put more value in that event and more of a family tie and those connections, you connect over food. You only see people at funerals and weddings. We might as well have food at both of them. Yep. I mean, and that's reflective of a shift just in general towards non-traditional memorials and celebrant services. I the, yep. I want a party, not a funeral, or I want a memorial, not a funeral. So I think yeah. I think that's good. That all kind of leads yeah. back to innovation in the space, which I think is great. Yeah, Helen actually had a, we had a really big Irish family here, and Helen was like, "Hey, at the end of the night, when we we thank everyone and you're invited back in the morning, right?" Helen was like, "Why don't we do a toast?" little shot glasses, JMO to everyone. That's said an Irish blessing and toasted. It was beautiful. I've been doing this for 20 years. Never wow. have I ever seen that. But someone who isn't in funeral service, who saw that from a real family's perspective and initiated that toast was really cool. And that was so memorable for that family and the people who were here at the end of the night. Rather than being like, good evening, everyone at this time, I'd like to invite you. No, it was Everyone, you've been provided with a glass and read this Irish thing and a toast That's to amazing. him. And That's yeah, really cool. That was cool. Yeah, just that, yeah, personalization is so important to making it meaningful. And I, I truly think it helps with the grieving process because you're able to reflect on how your 100%. loved one was special and it doesn't feel like they're just being put through the same service that everyone gets because they're one of a crowd. I tell my guys every day, every funeral is your yeah. first funeral. This is not the same as the last. Might be doing the same thing, but it's completely different because each life was different. And as long as you know that this, we're going through the standard formality, but this is unique to them. Their family dynamic, their social dynamic, whatever they have going on, we need to recognize that every day is the first day. Every time is the first time. And I make my staff get together in the morning. This is what we're going to do, A, B, C, and D. And they sometimes get pissy, like, I've never done this before. You haven't because it has you've never done it with this family, right? This family is different than the last family is going to be different than the next family. Even if it's almost extremely similar yeah. in family dynamic, they're different people with different lives. Yeah. Absolutely. And then my last follow-up question before we're done is you mentioned having TVs in every room. Uh, what is that for? Yeah. So we have these really thin uh, framed TVs. They look like paintings when they're off. They have art on them, which you can access any art oh, curation cool. in any national museum as well. But that memorial tribute video that the family gets to help create oh. or we help them um, plays on there with personalized music. Any songs from anywhere can play on there because we have oh. music licensing. And you really have this playing on what looks like a frame inside of the room, front of the room, back of the room, lobby. And we have like a open area where I have like a table with some water and I don't know, it's an old house. Uh, but those things play and people stop and get to look. And I purchased this place with a 14 inch TV in the corner of the room hooked up to a VCR <laughs> DVD player combo. So Having this video that's live streamed from a website on a TV inside of the room is so new to the community, but 
that's why people would choose funeral homes or people would bring their own TV here, according to the previous owner. Oh, if they wanted a video, I had them bring a TV yeah. in. You know, oh God. But, you know, even the former owner comes in, he goes, it's my favorite movie uh, theater in town now. <laughs> yes, that's, you know, but it, there's value in having the ability to air the pictures and it puts the um, reason why you're here is to celebrate that life. It's not just a stingy, dark room, looking at the framed photos, keeping it moving. It, it's music. It's, you could add videos to it, you know, little clips of the person. The live mm-hmm. pictures are cool. I've seen live pictures where it's just a blip of them. And it really reminds you that this is the summation of over 80 years or of an entire life lived. We're recognizing it and recanting in this moment. And there's reverence to what we do, even though it's something as stupid as a video. But having TVs was important. So we actually purchased these TVs on Black Friday, which is before we closed on the funeral home. (laughs) <laughs> it was nuts so they were like half off and we needed six of them and we had them all delivered it was crazy but now that they're set off I'm really thankful that it's something so that we cool. did yeah and I like what you said about reverence that you know this can still be a reverent service and be personal mm-hmm. and use technology that term is relative to who you're serving and what they want so I I love like things like reverence totally. and dignity and elegance are subjective to who's planning the funeral and I think that's really important to remember absolutely and the person who's planning if they're like we don't do the whole video right. thing blah 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 it's because then the tv has a, a still art image on it you know, did you have a favorite curation? Is there something? Well, yeah, we really like the Ansel Adams photography. Well, I can have two Ansel Adams pictures right up there looking like framed art and reflecting who you are. So it doesn't need, I don't shove this stuff down people's throat. You want it, it's there. You don't, I'm good with it. I had a family send me a Pandora list and I had to get Sono speakers and I put yeah. them up in the drop ceiling because I don't have a speaker system. It's only 1890. Yeah. <laughs> we had a 14-inch TV, so I definitely yeah. didn't get to the speaker system. But putting those Sono speakers up into the ceiling and having that Pandora radio play was relative to that family. They didn't want the video, but they wanted the music. Whatever families want, being open to their technology and providing them everything, especially like live streaming, very new for us. Getting an iPad that has cell service you know, but going to church and setting it up and live streaming for families, having people log in and have the video of that service placed value into that service and allowed people who were out of state to participate because it's important. That's modern tradition. That's putting the importance into traditional funeral service, but modernizing it so everyone can participate and get that value. Modern tradition. I love that. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And what you do is so valuable. Thank you for giving people a voice, for doing these podcasts, for being so inclusive and transparent. You truly are a gem in this industry, for sure. Back at you. Oh, my gosh. This production is brought to you by Parting Stone, who wants to remind you that when your families choose cremation, they don't have to receive cremated remains.